All right, welcome everybody. Well, a huge shout out to our central family across all of our locations. We want to welcome uh, our Summerlin family, our Kingman location, Sunrise Mountain, Southern Highlands, those who are joining us online and those who are watching in our partnership with God Behind Bars in different prison facilities. Thank you guys for being with us today. Well, I'm excited. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series, and uh, I think what we're going to be talking about over the next few, week, uh, next few weeks is really a million-dollar idea. Now, I don't, know if you've, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about million-dollar ideas, but I was thinking about this uh, just today. I was uh, standing in the kitchen, and this is the Scrub Daddy. Anybody ever heard of the Scrub Daddy? Uh, this is my favorite thing. If you would have told me, like... Uh, this is my favorite thing for cleaning stuff off dishes. Okay, let me clarify. If you would have told me like 10 years ago that we need another thing to help us scrub dishes that are dirty in the sink, I would have said you're crazy, right? Like who, need, who needs another? Don't we have 500 different kinds of scrub brushes already, right? But some dude comes up with this idea, and I'm just telling you, if you've never tried the scrub daddy, you should try it. Because you're gonna realize why this became the most profitable idea ever pitched on the history of the reality show Shark Tank, the Scrub Daddy. They've sold millions of them, million dollar idea. Um, here's another one, we'll bring it up on the screen. Uh, this is um, Mr. Dog Poop. And uh, this is not just a service that goes around and scoops poop for people, you know, with their dogs, they've actually taken it to the next level where they do DNA testing so that connected to a DNA database so that you can figure out which one of your neighbor's dogs is going in your front yard and ruining your grass. You think, does anybody care about this? $1.5 million was how much they made last year. It's a million dollar idea, right? Uh, here's another one. This, uh, this is a million dollar idea. A guy uh, in his 20s was going bald and decided, you know, he was going to sh start shaving his head and he couldn't find anything that really helped him do it efficiently. So he created this little razor thing with a ball end on it and you can just kind of rub it over your head, right? Bald is beautiful. $10 million a year. Not so bad. And then, of course, the ultimate million dollar idea. We'll bring it up on the slide here, the Snuggie. I mean, all this really is, is a blanket with armholes, right? That's all it is. But how many of you have had or, 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 or seen the Snuggie? I mean, they've sold millions and millions of these things. It's a million dollar idea. And uh, what I wanna talk to you about today and over the next several weeks is what I really think can be a million dollar idea in your life and in mine. It's a simple plan for financial peace that if we will engage in it in our lives over the long term, I think it can have a lot of positive results. One of those results is you're gonna see more of God's blessing moving and working in your financial life. You're gonna get more margin because you're paying yourself, you're saving for the future, you're preparing for unexpected events. You're gonna take some of the financial pressure off of your shoulders. And over the course of your life, I believe a simple plan like what we're gonna be talking about will cause some to um, be millionaires, will, will cause some to position themselves where they give away over a million dollars to bless other people, will cause some to be in a position where uh, they just aren't stressed and worried about money at a level that so many people are in our culture and in our society. 
And so we're gonna look at a simple principle called 10-10-80. 10-10-80. If you want financial peace, you gotta have a financial plan. And I think simple is often better. And so we're gonna break it down. We're gonna look over the next several weeks at the first 10, the second 10, and then at 80, and then at 100, really at everything that God provides for us in our lives. But let's dive into the Bible to get us started. We're gonna bring it up on the screens here, Luke chapter 16, and uh, this is Jesus' words, his teaching, so good. And so uh, let's, let's bring it up. When we get to the red word here in a minute, I'll have you read it out loud with me. It says Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. Let's just hang out there for a minute because that is such a powerful sentence. I mean, a lot of times we think, I'm dreaming big, God, I want you to bless me, I want you to move and work in my life, I'm trusting you to do something supernatural, I'm expecting huge things, and we wanna focus on the big stuff, and I think you should dream big and work big, but while you're dreaming big and working big, you also have to work small and be faithful with the little that God has given you. Here's what Jesus is saying, look, look at your life right now at all this, whatever God has given you, and be faithful with the little that you have, and you show yourself if you're faithful with the little, that you can handle the more, right? Look at the next sentence. He says, um, uh, if you're faithful with little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. In other words, if you start cutting corners now, you think it doesn't really matter. I don't have to be truthful. I don't have to, you know, like you start cutting corners now, don't think that when you have more responsibility and when the pressure's on and when things are even more intense in your life, that then you won't cut corners. He's like, no, if you, if you do it now with little things that don't really matter, you're not ready for the bigger things that God could bring into your life. And then he says, um, and if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? See, the spending decisions that we make are spiritual decisions. So Jesus is saying, if you, if you can't be trusted with money, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, then how can you be trusted with all the riches of heaven? You know, like you've got to prove and show in your life that you're trustworthy with whatever God puts in your hand so that you can then be blessed with more. Okay, so let's go on. It says, and if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two what? Masters. You see that? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's interesting because Jesus doesn't sort of uh, co connect the idea of serving uh, God with a whole lot of other things that he could have. You know, you can't serve God and romance, right? You can't serve God and power. You can't serve God and fame. No, he says you can't serve God and money because money becomes one of the key idols in our hearts as it relates to our relationship with God. And so what we're gonna be talking about over the next several weeks, I think is incredibly important for us in our families. For some of you, you've heard some of this before, and this will be a great review and reminder and just reaffirm some things that you already know that you need to continue to be reminded of in your life. For others of you, this is gonna sound fresh and new. It'll be challenging. What I'm gonna offer you are some principles that I believe are anchored in the Bible. These are not quick, quick fix things. This is not a new idea. This is old. This is time tested. This is proven by generations of believers who followed God and lived 
lived it out in their life. And it's not easy, but it's simple. And what it leads to is something all the research says most of us don't have in our lives, which is a sense of financial peace. In fact, the research shows that money is one of the number one causes of stress in our life. Money is one of the number one causes of divorce in our culture and families. You just think over the last week, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, there'd be a lot of hands. How many of you have fought this last week over money? Don't raise your hands, okay. People raising their hands anyway. Yeah, I raised my hand. I mean, that's just where we live, right? That's our lives. And I believe if we'll put some of these things in practice, maybe not next week, maybe not even next month, but next year and the year after that and the year after that, we'll start to bear the fruit of us showing that we're faithful with the little God's given us so that we can be faithful then with the more that he has for us. So. This week, I want to talk to you about the first 10 in 101080. 10, Next week, we're going to talk about the second 10, and I'm going to break it down in just a minute. The third week, we're going to look at 80. So the first 10, and here's what I would say about the first 10. Bring the first 10 to God. Bring the first 10 to God. Um, so we'll break this down and uh, unpack it, but, you know, I came across this graphic thought we could all relate to it. It's called the payday cycle of life. <laughs> so uh, here it is. So on payday, when, it's, when it begins, what do you say right after payday? I'm a millionaire. I'm doing awesome, right? We can go out to eat. I could buy some things. I got money in my pocket. It's a beautiful, payday is a beautiful thing. We can, we're not too spiritual to acknowledge that, right? Payday is a beautiful thing. Treat yourself. I'm so rich. Let's eat. And then you start, you know, like, okay, maybe I should stop it. I need to be, be responsible. And then you think, well, hey, life's for living, you know, buy those shoes. Then you're like, oh no, wait, what have I done? And then help, 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 help. Payday. And we start the cycle all over again, right? Like, I'm a millionaire. Woo, I got money in my pocket. I'm good. And that's a cycle I think a lot of us live in in our life. And many times that's our financial plan. But here's, here's what 101080 is really all about. I've got a, a, a large dollar bill over here. And uh, this dollar bill just, just sort of breaks it down. The 80% is really your spending power. The 10% um, here is your saving power and the 10% here is your giving power. So the idea of 10, 10, 80 is that you take the first 10 of what God gives you, or you, this could be a goal for some of us, all of this in our lives. Like we move towards this, but you take the first 10 of what God gives you, you give it back to him. You take the second 10. We're going to talk about this next week and you pay yourself. Some of us, you know, you work a million hours, you grind it out day and night, but frankly, like you don't pay yourself at all. And so you do all this work, all this stuff, but you don't, you don't ever pay yourself. And you, you get to a place, don't fall out of your seats when you hear this, but you get to a place where you actually live on 80% of your income. You live on 80% of your income, what that creates for you is margin. 
And um, I think it opens up a lot of things in your life. Now, I know, I know as soon as I say that, most people are like, oh man, I can't even live on 100% of my income, right? There's no way I can live on 80%. And the truth is like paying the rent that you pay right now, driving the car that you drive right now, you might not be able to live on 80% of your income. But I want you to think about this. That doesn't mean you shouldn't make it a goal to get to a place where you can live on 80% of your income. And it might be challenging. It might be hard. I know when Lori and I, we've lived this 10, 10, 80 principle in our marriage and family over, um, you know, the whole run of our marriage, even before we were married. But I, we did this when we could barely rub two pennies together, when everything we owned was given to us by somebody else, right? When we had plates that didn't match and this nasty couch that somebody donated to us and, you know, the bed that I slept in in high school and junior high, right? That got kind of transferred into me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We couldn't rub two pennies together. I was starting out as a young pastor, I don't, I was barely like at the welfare line, you know, financially, but we still lived 10, 10, 80. Later, we moved to California. We felt God was leading us to work in a church there and go there. And the cost of living was, the cost of living difference from the smaller Texas community where I was raised was so different. It was enormous. And we still live 10, 10, 80. Over the years here at Central, we've done different capital campaigns. We've done different building projects, and it's taken sacrificial giving, and we've given sacrificially in our family above and beyond again and again and again, and we still lived 10, 10, 80, and we've seen it work in our own hearts and in our own lives over the long term. So don't freak out on the 80 number yet. A lot of us think, well, I can't live on 80% of what I make. But the truth is, it wasn't that long ago for most of us that you were making only about 80% of what you're making now. And you lived on it then. And the truth is, if you go back and rewire your life, here, look, you don't have to do any of this. The reason I think this is important is if you can get to this place, you're positioning yourself for financial peace. If financial peace is important to you, I don't know how you get there until you start to spend less than you make. And so let's talk about the first 10. Give the first 10 to God. And of everything we're going to talk about, this is the element that I feel like in my own life has been the most important and the most powerful. And the reason is when I started to tithe is the biblical word we use. When I started to take tithe just means 10th. When I started to take the first 10% of what God had given me in my life and give that back to him and trust him with it, it affected every other area of my life. I started to have to, I had to get a budget. I had to get a spending plan together really fast, right? It started to change how I interacted with stuff in my life. It started to change how I saw things in my life. And so I think saving is very important. I think having a plan is very important. I think investing can be important. But all of this ultimately for me started when I began to put God first in my financial life. Here's what Exodus says, Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 19. Exodus 23, 19 it says, bring the best of the what? First fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Now this is an agricultural society. And so the idea is that you would take the very best of the very first of what you got agriculturally, and you would bring that to the temple and you would bring that to God. And this was a high risk proposition. 
So let's say, you know, you're a farmer and you, you're, you're a shepherd and, and uh, you know, you, you, your first lamb. What do you do with the first lamb? You bring it to God. That's money, right? That's, that's income. You bring that to God. But there's no guarantee that you're going to have other lambs. There's no guarantee they're all going to be healthy. Like, like, wouldn't it be smarter? Wouldn't it make more sense to wait until you kind of have all the lambs you're going to have? And then you sort of look around and go, that's a pretty good year. I think we can do it. I'll, now I'll be generous and I'll give this to God. I mean, that might be common sense, right? Some level. Or you think agriculturally, um, this was high risk because you're to take the first fruits of your crops and you don't know if there's going to be other crops. You don't know if insects are going to come along and destroy the crop. You don't know if a tornado is going to come ripping through, right, and affect the crop. You don't know if raiders are going to come through from another area and take all of your crops. But you take the risk to take the first that God has given you right? And you give that back to him to honor him in your life. It was a high risk proposition. And it gets to this fact. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our land. He doesn't need our, our lambs. He's got all that he ever needs. This is about our heart. It's about us trusting him. And so you bring the first, you bring the first, a lot of times we're tempted to wait, to sort of look at, see how things are, are, are looking and to be generous with the leftovers in our lives. And I think God is challenging us, be generous with the first of what I give you and let me step in and bless the rest. And I saw this in my own life. I can remember one of the biggest lessons I felt like God taught me in my life was uh, right out of high school, I was, uh, I was playing in a band, I was a new follower of Jesus, and you know, I was going to church, I was growing in my faith, and I really sensed that uh, I needed to be generous, I needed to start tithing, and I remember like the, the struggle in my soul and how hard that decision was and the moment to get to that place. I was um, working at this water park and the problem was every time it rained, we didn't work. So we didn't get paid and we kept having these rain days. And I know like there's not going to be enough money and I got to, you know, I really got to watch this. And I remember I was sitting in church and I just thought, well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to give 10% of what I've earned, even though I'm not sure how everything else is going to work out. And I gave, and what I didn't realize fully at the time is what I was doing in that moment was the biblical principle of first fruits. You bring to God your first. And what I'll never forget is when we went back to our apartment, actually it was a trailer that we were all living in. And we walked up to the door of this trailer and there's all these groceries sitting at the door of our trailer. And I remember none of us had told anybody like how broke we were. None of us had told anybody that we needed all this stuff, but we had nothing. And I just remember like, picking those groceries up and walking in and feeling like, all right, God, you said to test you, I tested you, and look at this. And I feel if you will go on the journey of putting God first in your financial life, bringing the first fruits of what he's brought to you. We don't live in an agricultural society, so we live in a monetary kind of culture. So we don't have first fruits, but we have paydays, right? So you bring the first of what God's provided for you in your life and you give that back to him. You're trusting him to work out the rest. You could say it this way. 90% with you and God is more than 100% on your own. So you're saying, God, I trust you with this, right? I trust you with it. 
And I'm on a faith journey now with you. Here's what Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says. Proverbs, or, uh, yeah, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to what? Overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Who wouldn't mind having an overflowing situation in their life? We're like, yeah, I'm down for that, right? I want my vats to be filled with new wine. Whatever that means, sounds good. There's a lot of money involved in that. And that's the idea is like, if you want to move from overwhelmed to overflowing, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, trust him. So anytime we talk about this in church, people get all kinds of defenses, all kinds of, well, you know, the church needs money. This is about the church trying to get money or, you know, this is, this is about this, or this is about that. Listen, listen, this is about you and your relationship with God. And I teach about this and I make no apologies because it made a huge impact in my own life and I've seen it make a huge impact in the lives of other people. This will change your life. But, but statistics say the vast majority of American Christians don't do it. The vast majority. And so they're missing out on a huge blessing that they could experience if they'll trust God with what he's provided them. If you can get past all of the barriers that our heart brings up to this and realize this is about you and God, nothing else. You and your spiritual journey with God. And if you can start to trust him with the first of what he's giving you, you open yourself up then to be blessed in financially in your life in significant ways with the rest of what he's given you. You know, if you try to cut him out of your financial life, like a lot of times people come to faith, they're like, God, I love you, I'll serve you, um, I'm down with you, but I'm not giving money, right? I'll serve you with everything, but not, not money. But then we don't understand, we're frustrated because financially we're hurting, we don't feel like we're being blessed. Financially, we feel like things are going backwards, not forwards. And I think part of the dynamic is we've cut God out of the financial part of our life, so why should we expect him now to step in and move? But if you put him first in the financial part of your life, well, now you're testing him at his word. You're trusting him by faith. And now you're on a journey and an adventure, and it can make a huge difference in your life. So bring the first 10 to God. Bring the first 10 to God. Here's a second thought. Overcome your fears with faith. Overcome your fears with faith. I read this uh, little online thing about the two greatest fears, the greatest questions that men fear their wives or girlfriends will ask them. Two greatest. All right. We'll bring the first one up. We'll do a little, uh, uh, uh call and response here. What, what, what are you thinking about? Come on guys. You know what I'm talking about? Which, what are you thinking about? Like, doesn't that feel like a setup? Feels like a, a trick question. So here's a little help. We'll do, we'll do a little, let's see. A, nothing. B, a work thing. C, I was lost in thought imagining our future together. <laughs> I think we all know the answer you should go with, right? Although that'll only probably work once, but anyway. All right, let's bring up the next one. Do you love me? Oh man, we're in the deep water now. Do you love me? Here's the possible responses to that. Yes, <laughs> uh, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> Probably won't go over so well. More every day. There you go. 
You know, at some point, talk becomes cheap and you show your love by your actions, right? Show your love by your actions. We spend money on what we love. And we spend money for those we love. Hey, my wife, Lori, everything I, I didn't realize when we walked down the aisle, the full extent of, the, of this reality, but everything I have is hers. And I'm good with that. My kids, anything that I have that I can do for them, anything, right? They're your kid. I'm good with that. They're your kid. You love them, right? So I have no problem spending money on people that I love. And over the years, Lori and I, 23 years, coming up 23 years this year, this next year of marriage. Uh, let me tell you something. The cheapest ring on her hand is the wedding ring because we didn't have any money. But then if you look at her hand, not to embarrass you, Lori, but the 10 year anniversary ring, that's a little better. The 20 year ring, that's what I'm talking about, you know? Like, I got no problem spoiling my wife because I absolutely love her. I got no problem spoiling my kids because I love them. Listen, I have no problem being generous back to God because I love him and I trust him. So, you know, I know there's fear when it comes to all of this, but overcome that fear with faith. And one of the things that helped me was this sort of realization. I used to feel like, man, everything I earn, that's mine. I work for that and you do work for it. And it takes energy and effort and work and you work hard and you know, you don't have much. It never feels like you have much, but what you have, you worked hard for. I get that. But there's a mindset shift that happened in my life that made a huge difference. And it kind of anchors in this Psalm 24, beginning of verse one. Let's bring this up on the screen. Psalm 24, one, it says the earth is the Lord's and what? Everything in it. And everything means everything, right? So yeah, you went to work and you worked hard and you earned money and resources and that's great, but God owns your work. He owns the job. He owns your health. He owns your gifts. He owns your abilities. Everything in your life is a gift from him. And then all of a sudden you start to think about things differently. Wait, 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 wait. It's not about hanging on to what you've got. It's about being a good steward with what God has given, right? Because it's all a gift from him. I'm not an owner of anything. I'm a manager of what God has entrusted me with. And if I manage what he entrusted me with well, he's going to bless me potentially with more, either financially or in other ways in my life. And so I want to manage it well, but I'm just a manager of what God has given me. And I think when you can get to that kind of manager mentality and realize everything I have is God's, it opens you up to a whole lot of freedom. It doesn't mean that you can't save. We're going to talk about that next week. You need to save. It's biblically wise to save, to be prepared for the rainy day because it's coming, to be ready for Murphy's Law because it will happen, right? If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. It, it's, it's wise to save. It's wise to invest. It's wise to plan. Yes. But within all of that, you realize you're managing what God has provided for you. And so from a biblical perspective, in the Old Testament, there was um, kind of a, a, a baseline principle that we call the tithe that was a 10% principle. And um, 
that's what they brought to the temple. They actually did more than that, but that's the part that they brought, you know, to the temple. And that's what we've carried on more and more. But people will always ask like, well, that's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're saved by grace. You know, God has freely forgiven us and worked in our life, right? There's nothing we can do to earn it or achieve it. Like, isn't it being legalistic to bring that Old Testament stuff into the New Testament when it comes to generosity and giving? Because it should just be free will and it should be from our heart. And I would just say to that, like, um, I understand that kind of question and that perspective, but I think generosity is a theme that runs through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as for me, uh, the tithe is a principle in the Old Testament. I do believe Jesus affirms it, but more than that, I don't want to say to God, like, God, all right. So, you know, you had this principle in the Old Testament of people giving 10% back to you. But now that we're in the New Testament era and I have not only all of the inside of the Old Testament and your um, moral principles and values, I also have Jesus Christ and the cross and what he did for me on the cross and the resurrection. I have the gift of your Holy Spirit now dwelling within me. I'm part of a church community. I know I've got the gift of eternal life. I've got spiritual gifts that I can contribute and give back. So God, I'm going to go ahead and lower my generosity now. It just doesn't make sense, right? As a follower of Jesus, I want to be growing to be more and more and more generous and to push back on the fear that life is about scarcity and to hang on to the idea that God is a God of generosity and he will take care of me and he will bless me as I trust him. So in the book of Malachi, we see some interesting things in the Old Testament. It was this sort of era where the Israelites were basically trying to bring God their leftovers. Um, they're just trying to bring God kind of what's at the end. And so if you're, if you're a shepherd and you know, you know you need to bring something to the temple, they would look over their flock and they would find that lamb that's like leaning up against the post that's about to die. It's on its last like, this is what they were doing. And, then, and, they, and, they would, and, and you can understand, right? It's like, well, I'll take that one to the temple, right? I'll give that as if it's about the temple, right? This is where people get all messed up with the church. The church just wants your money. As if it's about the church. It's about your relationship with God. And so they would take that old lamb, you know, and take it to the temple and give it. And, uh, or, or, you know what they were doing with their crops? They would, instead of taking the first fruits and the best from their crops, they would take the old rotted stuff in the corner, you know, the stuff that had bugs and was nasty. And they're like, yeah, that'll work. And they would take that to the temple. That's what was going on in the midst of it. And there's a place in all of this, as you read through Malachi in the context of the scripture we're about to read, there's a place where God basically says to the Israelites, he's like, you know what? I wish they would just shut the doors of the temple. Just shut the doors. Don't bring me your old sick lambs. Don't bring me your old nasty fruits. Just shut the door because it's not about that. God's saying, stop testing my patience and start testing my generosity, right? 
Look at what he says. Malachi chapter three. That's the context of this right here. Malachi three ten. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Look at what, look at this. Help me. Test me. You see that? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. There it is again. How many of you wouldn't mind having the floodgates of heaven open up and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room for it? So God says there's a way for that to happen, and it anchors in on this idea. Test me. And this is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Everywhere else, it's not about test me. In fact, everywhere else, you know what God says? Don't test me. Like your mom. Don't you test me. Right? Don't even think about it. This is the only place in the Bible where God actually says, no, no. In the financial area of your life, test me. Test me in this. I've been testing God in this area of my life for over a couple decades. And I've found him to be true to his word and incredibly faithful. Test him in it. Go on your own journey with God and see if God doesn't show up and move and work in your heart and life. Now, I think 10, 10, 80 is the goal. And I think this is kind of what we're should be moving towards in our life for financial peace. But I know that some of you are at a place where you think giving 10% seems impossible to me right now. Saving 10% seems impossible to me. Living on 80% seems impossible to me. And so maybe for you, just consider taking a step, even if there's small steps over the next several weeks, taking some steps in your generosity, taking some steps in saving, taking some steps in how you're managing your spending. And we've said around here at Central when it comes to generosity. You know, there are people that are generosity rock stars. They give online, reoccurring. They may not be tithing. They may not be giving 10%, but they've taken a step to be generous. And God is going to bless that. God's going to move in that. So continue to grow in that. But the real, I believe, power of the promise, foundational promises of the Old Testament idea of tithing, I think that power really comes into play when we give God the first 10 and we trust him with it. We realize it's not about money, it's about our heart. And it's about trusting God to move and work in the midst of our heart. What God really wants is not your stuff or your money or anything else. What God really wants is your heart. He wants a relationship with you. That's really what he wants. That's what he's about. And Jesus came and died and rose again to be in relationship with you. And so friends, I want to challenge you wherever you're at in your life. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, that's what God's after. The money is a secondary thing. In fact, what you're going to find out is the money is a non thing because once you start trusting God financially, it's not about the church. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the building. It's not about all this other stuff. It's about my relationship with God, my trust in God, my stepping out in faith with God and God will move and bless as I do. And friends, you're never going to know that journey until you go on it. And it starts with a step of faith by just saying, God, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. And just ask him to forgive and move and work in your life. So across all our locations, I want to ask everybody to please bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you can begin that journey by repeating this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. 
Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. And friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you wherever you're at just to slip your hand in the air, just to acknowledge that you're going to follow God in your life, that you're reaching out to him. Slip your hand in the air. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love for each and every one of us. I thank you for those reaching out to you today. I thank you that you're generous, that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, for our forgiveness. And I pray that each person reaching out to you will receive forgiveness and grace and peace and joy in their life from you. Thank you for who you are. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, listen, if you made a spiritual commitment in your life, I just want to tell you congratulations. And uh, in just a few moments, once our services conclude, uh, you can swing by uh, an area called um, the uh, New Beginnings area. We want to give you this journal called the New Beginnings Journal, a great tool and resource just to help you over the coming days and weeks as you grow in your spiritual journey. So now I'm going to throw it over to our location pastors, and they're going to come out and talk us through our next steps.